0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Power 365 Show. Today, I'm talking with Shree from Microsoft. He's the Principal Group Program Manager at Microsoft, responsible for CDS, particularly the design architecture behind the low-code, no-code platform. We'll also jump into licensing costs because that is his area of responsibility as well when it comes to the Common Data Service. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guide.com forward slash 196. Now let's get on with the show. Shri, welcome to the Power 365 show. Thank you. Thank you. How's it going and where you where? Where are you held up today in this COVID-19 world that we live in?
1: Uh, very much like you, Mark, I'm actually in the safe zone of my home, stay home safe, um, somewhere close to Seattle. Uh, That's near Microsoft headquarters. That's where I work from.
0: Yeah, excellent. How have you found, you know, the weeks of not having that kind of one-on-one or in-person physical connection with colleagues?
1: Um, It's basically... Uh, the change management process right we as human man is a social animal and uh, you do need that kind of connect otherwise you feel like in the prison all sorts of mental issues coming in how am I going to deal with this change and all that so after that initial phase has passed maybe like in two three weeks I think we are getting used to this new normal Um, self-discipline is the only thing and patience is the only thing that will pull you through this phase and getting used to it now
0: yeah, yeah, so true. And so, so, you know, I'm looking forward to discussing, you know, the low-code, no-code using CDS and, and, and the design architecture principles that you've been operating with. But what was your journey into Microsoft? How did you end up working where you are now? Can you give us a, a brief story from uh, origin to here?
1: Uh, sure. I started my career with Infosys as a core developer, Uh, in the Java world, um, strange as you may feel, but in the services world, you cannot stick to a technology. You just need to keep changing as the customer requirements change. And very soon I was sucked into this amazing world of Microsoft Stack, started working on Windows, which is probably the biggest software that is maximum number of users. And it's changed the life for so many on this planet. So I started with Windows And then eventually started getting interested about the business aspect and moved into a project management role and eventually uh, got into more product management scenarios and uh, made my way through office. And uh, I don't know, we used to call this org initially as CRM, Customer Relationship Management. So once you are familiar with the platform aspect of it how operating systems work how the kernel works and everything you get curious about how to help customers with business applications so crm was the natural transition into it and that's how i got hooked on Uh, we had a chief product architect at that time gautam who invited me to this uh, world and i said sure i'll be happy to join this team and that's how i got introduced to crm And over the last two years, we have made some phenomenal changes of democratizing the platform to uh, non-professionals who want to get a lot of things done and improve the business. Uh, I would say digital transformation of the business and those people are the real ones who can do the change faster. And as you know, XRM is now uh, transformed into, I would say, common data service. So that's where I am now
0: yeah so so give me a, give me an overview of what your role and responsibility is in your day-to-day uh, activities uh, and how that relates to CDS.
1: Yeah, so Mark, I actually I uh, own a team that is focused on business revenue uh, and efficiency of the platform. Uh, what that means is we every day challenge ourselves to understand how can we make common data service better so that we can bring these set of innovations to the low-code, no-code platform and fulfill the promise of um, making common data service as the platform that everyone would should think about for building any sort of apps in the business world.
0: Mm, mm, mm. And so so is is the core area that you're responsible for inside CDS? And did you mention there... Um the licensing side as well, you're responsible a lot for how CBS is Yeah, when CBS I spoke about
1: business revenue, it does include uh, where do we spend most of our resources on, how do we monetize the platform, how do we make sure we run um, the platform with uh, enough resources that will make sure the customers are happy at the same time Microsoft has a healthy business going. And one of the main aspect of that is how do you craft the licensing? How do you make sure the right set of values are bundled up in the right right set of licenses that customers can understand?
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when you came in with Gutham back in the day, right, XRM was a term that was around, you know, at that time. And, of course, we've seen XRM in a way morph into CDS, but yet CDS is so much more... When people ask you to explain those differences, how do how do you go about that?
1: Uh, interesting question mark again. Uh, XRM again is a very industry uh, terminology that is used for anything that you want to manage relationships, and that's where the X comes from. Um, it comes from a very prof- people who have professional developer experience who understand entity relationships and those kind of concepts. Um, It simply means that XRM platform has all the essential ingredients for you to come and mix these things and make a great recipe out of these things. Um, But when you think about Common Data Service, uh, it is actually a transformation of XRM at the same time. I like to summarize Common Data Service as a structured data set that helps you to support your business logic uh, in a very secure and compliant manner. It doesn't have to do with relationships or anything. Any sort of business applications you got, any sort of processes, business processes that you want to put together in a safe and compliant manner, you can think about Common Data Service as that thing to, that you need to think and explore about.
0: Interesting. it's the first time I've I've heard reference of it's not necessarily around relationship management. so can you give us an examples of something that might not sit under the you know that relationship management heading that you're seeing used um, or seeing you know people use CDs for? Uh,
1: interestingly, I would say think about an inspection app or like a, um, maybe what do you say a real estate uh, property that somebody wants to come and inspect uh, typically he's just coming and saying okay here is the length here is the width of the property here is how many rooms it has got and here is how the front elevation picture looks like and stuff like that you just need to capture that input quickly on a mobile phone from anywhere in the world and just collect that data at the same time you want to make sure that data is client proprietary it just is shared with the person that you want to share it with Um, and that's about it like the common minimalistic scenario that I would think about right you you, you're going for a site inspection you take some pictures you upload it and you make sure it's client proprietary and it's restricted to just the customer to see it so those kind of scenarios or maybe a field technician who goes to diagnose a problem problem, just wants to put together something uh, on a very lightweight thing of course Uh, it can as you know cds is powerful enough that it can grow into a mature uh, more sophisticated storage and uh, business process engine especially if you are thinking about different set of roles a few organizations trying to use it but uh, the common minimalistic thing looks like a simple with not much relationship you can still get your app up and running in like probably an hour or so
0: from your perspective, then, what is this low code, no code? So, you know, especially coming from your background when, when you know, we had CRM um, and that became Dynamics 365, what do you see as a fundamental difference to that platform there from a low code, no code perspective and what we have now?
1: Yeah, so I would like to say every time you, if you heard Satya and some of our leaders speak, right, we want to meet the customers where they are rather than trying to bring them to our products and make them learn a bunch of new things. Uh, I would try to say the low code, no code uh, originates or it's part of that same story getting extended to say, Customers don't need to learn anything new. If they are familiar with how Excel's are written or how uh, a few bunch of basic mathematical formulas are written, uh, we open up a whole power of this platform for them to come and explore and unleash the potential and get on their journey of digital transformation as part of this.
0: But it's not saying that there's really no code, right? Because there is the ability then to, of course, extend beyond that.
1: Of course, and low-code, no-code simply means you don't have to code. Your skill set may be low at the beginning when you start, but then as you grow and you think you can do much more and you want to explore some of the code-based uh, things as well, then, as I said, it transforms into what used to be the XRM world where anything is possible. You could write fancy plugins, you could write triggers and workflows and get more sophisticated um, Business engines going where you can have millions of dollars and uh, sitting there for approval and those kind of things uh, that typically an enterprise would run into.
0: When we first started on this journey of of going into the cloud with Dynamics, this is back before it was sitting in Azure. We would look at things like sales scale groups and you know data separation and and that type of thing. We haven't heard much about that in more recent times. When it comes to the architecture, has that fundamental you know, where we considered what we're back-end and front-end servers or workflow servers, how much has that changed in, in in respect to the CDS environment?
1: So we are on this constant journey, Mark, and uh, we, if you remember, there was an effort called as Run 1 where we moved some customer or uh, uh, Roger, the entire platform has gone through some metamorphosis when it comes to the uh, just playing code on IaaS to making it more PaaS, when I say PaaS platform as a service. So we, and as I said, every day we constantly try to make the service better and see how we can run it more efficiently. As part of that journey, a lot of those roles have merged or some of them have become microservices and stuff like that. And, And our intent is that because we are a software as a service, we re- definitely want to take that complexity of letting customers deal with understanding the scale groups and the, uh, the pods and the roles and all that kind of thing. You pay for uh, some sort of service or the platform and you largely get it and we promise the certain set of SLAs and performance guarantees that comes with it and that's what we focus on and delivering 100% of the time.
0: Last year, about this time, it was MBAS last year, Ryan Jones, you know, spoke, uh, he actually put a diagram up on a slide which showed, you know, what is CDS because there'd been a lot of confusion around the common data model, the common data service, and was common data service just a database? And of course, it showed very clearly that it was compute, it was a range of storage technologies including Microsoft Azure SQL, um, Cosmos DB, and what was the other one? Blob Storage. Um, It's been a year, and uh, the day we're recording this is a a day or so before MBAS 2020. What's changed across that year uh, in your perspective with CDS?
1: Mark, this is a tricky question. <laughs> at the same time, you're trying to get the cat out of the bag. At the same time, I don't want to steal Ryan's thunder here.
0: Uh, oh no, no. So, so just so you know, this won't be published till well after MBAS. This because this, this is not a live recording, right? So this will this will come out in about uh, three weeks' time. So we will refer them to Ryan's, um, you know, because. Because I'm familiar with what Ryan's going to be talking about, but um, uh, perhaps you could just elaborate on that more because, as I say, it won't be published to a later date.
1: Sure. So I think uh, in, in light of what you already said, right, CDS is not just a database. It's a whole ecosystem that allows you to structure your data at the same time and uh, enables you to run your business logic uh, in a secure manner and a compliant manner. When that needs to happen, there is definitely... Uh, a suite of uh, compute and data and uh, logic, basically that triggers basically through flows. And then there is definitely the integration story. What we are focused on is to a little bit more on the integration story of how we can integrate with Power BI or how we can integrate even the finance and operations platform. So you will see a lot more uh, emphasis on that as part of what is being spoken at MBAS this year. Um, but then at the same time, yes, uh, as you said, database, uh, SQL relational database is one of those things. File storage and blob storage definitely are becoming more mainstream. And I would say you you basically don't deal with them. You just use our API saying, just attach this file. And going back to my... Uh, example on the applications like the site inspection application if you if there is a technician taking a picture of the house and he's just using cds api at the end of the day but those pictures largely would be sitting in a file store that uh, you don't have to deal with but those things are happening as a way of efficiently storing it so that we can search through the file contents and give you a more relevant search experience than Trying to open up things until you find it. I would say less pleasant experience that you had in the
0: past. So one of the other things he said, like don't worry what's inside CDS. In other words, don't you'll never um, access it directly, right? Because you'll always go through via an API. But you, you as a Microsoft are always looking for new enhancements, whether it be a performance-based, security-based. AI based, that type of thing of, you know, making CD, you know, new technology might come along and if it's a good fit with CDS, you might pop that in there and make that part of the CDS mix. Has anything like that popped out over the last 12 months? Anything new?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, CDS largely being under the hood and uh, what we try to do is we try to make applications and the experience better. So uh, we do have a lot of AI applications and experience lighting up our virtual agents, AI builder and other such applications. We constantly are optimizing to make sure they have the best experience when coupled with CDS and CDS is your first and best a place where you would trust your data to go and that's what uh, we have been optimizing optimizing on. So even though we integrate these services behind the scenes, uh, you as an end user probably are not going to be impacted. You probably are going to be interacting with these applications. And our goal is to make that CDS integration as frictionless as possible. And as seamless or, or even less transparent, like you cannot even understand that behind the scenes there is CDS that is running all of this. That's that's success to us on this uh, on this front.
0: So, what are you seeing when it comes to resource consumption, and and that's across a mix of you know our data storage, compute, etc. And and how is what you're finding, you know, all that telemetry data, how's that informing your architectural patterns?
1: Um, so, as I said, uh, there are uh, several places that we look out for signals. Um, One of the things, for example, could be to say in a multi-tenant architecture world, you may have places where you think some of the roles were or some of the compute. Let's just say we picked up a a D-series of a compute machine that was Performing a certain role and we determine that over a period of time when you actually light up a new service You don't know how the performance is going to look like at planet scale But then eventually when the service is baked out for six months you find out some of the memory is not largely being used or some of the uh, CPU cycles are not required in those cases. We try to see how we can step down or uh, probably add more features so that the particular resource is being utilized at an optimum level rather than just sitting idle uh, because obviously we can add more value to that particular resource by being there rather than just sitting there idle and not doing anything and increasing our spend at the at the platform level.
0: Mm-hmm. So one of the concerns, you know, at that time came out was around... Uh, the number of API calls and what was considered average or the mean and and what it is today. and And one of the things I've come across on projects is that if you make the application super sticky, so whether it be, let's take Dynamics 365 Sales, for example, let's say you make it sticky and that staff want to use it a lot more, naturally the API consumption goes up, right? And so how are you finding once again in hindsight over you know another year or so worth of data the api limits that are in place do you think there's there's an opportunity for some changes coming to those and of course i'm i'm talking about increased capacity for less money um but but what are your thoughts
1: yeah i think good question mark and i like the way you put it right um It was a gradual learning on how we understood the problem. And uh, let let me take a step back and focus on the principles here, right? Why did we introduce this? We were seeing large scale uh, abuse happening with some customers or some uh, knowingly or unknowingly where they were running away with resources. And uh, it's not a secret that we run a multi-tenant service. And in those services, we have to ensure optimum resources are being blocked for certain customers based on the value and the performance needs of the application that is running on top of the platform. While doing so, we had to make sure we build enough protection so that there's no there's no such problem like the noisy neighbor scenarios and other kind of thing. And, and I'm kind of a little bit mixing things up here, especially because there is also the service protection limit where we throw some throttling in there if you actually have a spiky usage that was largely over and above what is expected. But at the same time, we saw similar behavior, even though it may not, try to be a noisy neighbor but there is constant usage of resources well and above what you would require for a SaaS application and we wanted to weed out some of those problems in the interest of making sure the sla for rest of the customers are not impacted and we stick to the sla promises that we give at a Uh, at at the platform level for availability, reliability, and other metrics that we promise the customers. As part of that, it was fundamental to doing or introducing that as an aspect. Coming back to the question on the sales application and the promise about change, one thing, the only thing that is constant is change, I would say. We are constantly learning. As I said, there are new applications lighting up. So based on those, these entitlements are bound to change. And as we learn more, we'll adjust. At the same time, as I said, the intent was not to monetize on any of those aspects. So the intent was larger to enforce a right architecture from the customer side so that they know when they are using the cloud, it's not unlimited. You need to have some sufficient retry mechanism. You need to have an idea of what your limits are and play within those limits so that you play as a fair citizen in the cloud world.
0: Okay, so that yeah, that definitely make, makes sense to me. Let's let's talk a bit about licensing with CDS, and I see that really the two areas you have control of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, are of course storage and API. Right? Would that be fair?
1: Yes, those are the platform capacity that we largely uh, pivot around. Yep.
0: So so when you think about licensing, and I know this sits in your wheelhouse, w- what are you thinking about these two areas?
1: Uh, again, I'll go back to say, when you are talking about a SaaS application, these two things should be definitely in your consideration to understand what do you get as part of your entitlement with your user license that you buy. And then there is also the aspect that I would say we don't want majority of our customers to even bother about these capacity when they are trying to just use an application and get their digital transformation journey going. But at the same time, if you know you are going to be pumping in large amounts of data, or you are having a different business that is compute heavy that is going to pump in these API, because you are into the business of integrate integration. Uh, or dealing with large volumes of batch jobs and stuff like that, then we want to let you know that there is a model where you can purchase these things outside of a business application. You definitely don't shouldn't be buying a sales application and doing large volume batch processing, integration jobs uh, with just your one sales enterprise license. And that's largely the model that we want to push and say these kind of scenarios is where we you should think about okay, well, how can I buy capacity and still deal with my scenarios because I'm not a typical SaaS application uh, that that we are trying to optimize for.
0: Let's say you take the forty dollar app SKU, right, and then you take something like the pro SKU for Dynamics three six five. They have very different API call capacity, right? And and the thing is, is that for an ISV, and I, and we'll talk more about ISVs shortly. For ISVs to build using the $40 app SKU, it seems that the API calls are not on par with a first-party app SKU. And, and let me let me explain. Is that in a first-party app, right, yes, you're paying a, a premium price point um, for that SKU, $65, for example, And um, but you're getting the IP, right, and you're really getting around 16 years of I- accumulated IP, if you take something like Dynamics 365 Sales. But with the the $40 SKU, if, if you're an ISV and try to build an app tomorrow, and speaking from experience, you very quickly run into the, and this is a well-architected because, I mean, I know the comeback could be, but, you know, was it a chatty app? Um, let's say it's, it's, it's a, an app to support sales once again. Um, but it's hyper-sticky. In other words, salespeople are using it you know, 40% more than they perhaps would use Dynamics um, sales by itself. But the API calls we found very quickly, we just blitzed them and so therefore had to be constantly buying additional API capacity, really just to bring it up to the same level as the sales um, um, skew. So my question is, is it really on par to get ISVs to build on that and produce an app to the quality of a first-party app um, where the premium price price point really is they need to start with that 20,000 API calls as a starting point? Do you see my point? Yeah.
1: Um, Mark, I see the point, actually. And again, this is largely because uh, we have not yet largely landed the API capacity reporting and how it's going to look like for different customers. But uh, when you say the $40 per app license, this is largely what we treat as the Power Apps platform license, which simply means again, we want to encourage people to start using Power Apps and building that application experience. But if you have your own client and you're using the API, Think about it, we are thinking giving about 5,000 API calls per user per day. Yeah. Which salesperson would be able to even click through and do that amount of sales through an application is a question. It only happens when you'd have some sort of an API or back channel where multiple salespeople are trying to make the call and the, all the calls are coming through one application user. And that is why you run out of that capacity. The other point as I was trying, we are constantly learning on how people are using these SKUs and how how much entitlements we have given. We started with some limits too, which are sufficiently higher than what we have seen for 95 percentile of our customer base or even higher, which means you can imagine 5,000 calls in a day for a user doing sales for per user. And these are per user limits. And uh, these are, again, going to be for different family. If you are trying to beat uh, the first-party dynamic sales application, you probably are still looking at uh, using probably like, like less than 50% of that capacity is our understanding for a typical sales scenario where you uh, capture a lead, qualify it into an opportunity, uh, your sales manager approves it, boom, your sales is done, right? Even if you have a point of sales application, uh, typically then it simply means you are trying to do it through a service principle or some service account. In those cases, we definitely want to monetize that aspect and expect you to buy the API capacity.
0: How do you, and I mean, this is a bit of behind the scenes stuff, but how do you work with the Azure folks when you're planning you know the growth of of what's happening over on the power platform side of things, and is you know how how integrated are you as two two different parts of Microsoft?
1: Yeah. so uh, even though you say two different parts of Microsoft, we believe in the one Microsoft story, and um, definitely there is a lot of things that go behind the scene when it comes to capacity. Uh, projections. Uh, there are two types of projections that happen. There is a long-term projection that is like the one year to two year worth of uh, projections where Azure uh, folks, planning folks uh, have a discussion with us and say, okay, here are the new regions we plan to go. Here are the new sectors we want to light up for. And then there is obviously the short-term uh, capacity meeting that tells what does your core requirements for next six months look like. Uh, which region do you see, uh, I would say, um, capacity constraints, uh, which is our question to them because typically um, it's always, you don't get what you ask for, it's always something that you have to bargain for and there is, uh, uh, I would say, a positive uh, system of checks and balance in there that helps us to say, we are optimizing the infrastructure that is there. We don't have anything sitting idle. At the same time, we uh, have a just-in-time kind of a, a provisioning model as well to make sure we are not throttled and uh, customers don't suffer because of lack of resources. Uh, that's that's a, that's just a little give you a little glimpse into how things work. Yep.
0: Do you kind of have any just, and I'm not holding you to this, but any other top of your head, what type of percentage of the Azure business would be coming from the the business applications team nowadays? Just a roughness, or is it uh, something you can't disclose? It's too it's too
1: difficult to disclose, but at the same time, I can tell you we are one of the largest customers of Azure SQL.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I want to hear, right? Because that shows where our our part of the industry is constantly growing, which is exciting. Yeah.
1: So interestingly, I'm actually publishing a case study on how we adopted Azure and how we are trying to also sell Azure as the best and the first choice that we had when we set out on this uh, cloud transformation story ourselves. And there you will see some of those detailed case studies of how we've set about doing this, the number of customers and how we moved them all within a year's worth of time. Um, uh, Still proud of the achievement, the whole team that came together, also the customers who understood the requirements and were happy to move the schedules and help us also get to a place where we can serve them better. So, uh, But uh, I, I would say... We constantly push the barriers for Azure SQL and other Azure services, and that's how we help them be better. At the same time, uh, our customers keep us pushing on those limits, just as an example, earlier one terabyte was the max storage that we could support on CRM systems when it was CRM or customer engagement. But with common data service, we can support up to 100 terabytes of data and largely possible because of the hyperscale and the M-series machines that Azure is putting, bringing out.
0: Wow, that that is amazing. Those those are amazing, amazing numbers. When's that white paper coming out? Or, sorry, that case study? Uh,
1: it's been reviewed actively right now, so the draft is ready. Uh, I would probably say by the end of this month, uh, it should be there, and I'll send it your way if you want to publish something. That'd
0: be great. I assume it's going to go on docs as well, right?
1: Uh, I... Don't think so. It will probably be in the Azure marketing blog or somewhere. Yeah, I, uh, we, are, we are still figuring it out how and which places we should land it.
0: So you mentioned there you're one of uh, Azure's biggest consumption of, of SQL, Azure SQL. Um, I, I know this is a bit far-fetched, but what do you think technology-wise could be coming after SQL? is there going to be a a new iteration a new database that's you know performs better than that are, are you seeing anything and I'm probably talking more from an r and d or research or scientific perspective you know um quantum computing is anything like that playing into your thinking for what's next
1: um i i, I don't want to reveal too much here but as i said uh, we've been having a positive Influence on how Azure SQL thinks about scaling large enterprise applications, and remember, we are probably the, also the biggest SaaS application that is running on Azure uh, SQL specifically. Uh, most of those Azure platforms are sold like mostly as a platform, and having a successful business that is plat- planet scale adds that much more complexity to making sure. The SLAs are not like there is like a derived SLA now on top of our SLA. There is an Azure SLA that we have to make make sure we build redundancy to take care of that. So you can imagine the levels of complexity that comes in when you have two stack. One is the Azure platform, and then you have our common data service platform sitting on top of that. Now, coming back to your question, yes, if there is quantum computing and those kind of things. At this point, CDS is trying to push those barriers and see how we can store maximum data in less amount of hardware. And uh, Azure SQL, I'm sure, is also researching on how we can do that, how we can freeze the, the database when it's not required, store them off in a much cheaper place and a smaller footprint. At the same time, you might have heard about how Satya has made a promise to get rid of all our carbon footprint and stuff. So all of that is feeding into SQL Azure's research and it would be, in, I would not do a fair justice talking on behalf of them. And, and CDS will be at the forefront and leveraging whatever they come out with.
0: When you moved to uh, Blob Storage and uh, Cosmos DB, what were the kind of lessons learned from that kind of data separation journey that you went on? And... Um, were there any kind of pleasant surprises, um, you know, that, you, that you, you've realized in hindsight? Um,
1: yes, I would say, as you said, it's a journey. It's not complete yet. The destination is not arrived. We just probably started moving about 5 to 10% of the data. Um, it's a different beast altogether, especially as, you know, 15, 16 years of SQL code is baked into all of the platform. Uh, trying to switch it overnight is not going to be easy. And uh, there are a few interesting things. Um, Again, uh, I would say wait for the case study to come out and we'll reveal more about it. We are still learning. Um, It wouldn't be good to brag about it until we have conquered all the (laughs) monsters
0: there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know what you mean by monsters. Um, Tell me about team member enforcement. Is that one of the areas that you've been involved with as well?
1: Yes, it is one of those problem areas that we have been trying to solve in the business. Um, Historically, team member licenses were sold as platform SKUs because of the lack of platform uh, license that we ever had. We didn't have an XRM license that people uh, who were trying to buy something of that sort. So the easiest way for them to enter the platform was through the team member enforcement. Uh, Our goal was to make sure the, the customers get the value of the license that they sell. And uh, the goal there is to tell the customers that, hey, this license is meant for broadly read-only scenarios. And a few, uh, I would say, uh, uh, bracketed scenarios, I would say whitelisted scenarios for sales service and project service, which are explicitly called out in the business uh, licensing guide. Uh, and we wanted to let customers know that for the value of the license, that's precisely the uh, allowed list of scenarios that we want customers to use for. If they want the platform license, they'd rather buy the Power Apps platform license. And ra- if they have a full-fledged sales scenario then or a customer service scenario, then they should think about uh, upgrading to the right set of license. And uh, I would say the principle that Charles likes to tell us always is, give the customer the right license even if it's at a wrong price rather than giving the customer the wrong license which is a wrong way to sell things because that's not how the product was intended to be
0: yeah that, that that's very good so so where are you up to on that enforcement journey is it now fully enforced and and lit up within people's uh, admin environments where where they currently sit?
1: Yeah, so it's part of the product now where the enforcement was turned on on April 1st. That said, we had a lot of customers who were in the middle of the transformation and given the COVID situation, we've extended the exception for existing orgs that were created before 1st April. Those customers or those orgs will not see the enforcement until January 31st, 2021, which is all the way next year, January. So that gives them a little more time during this unprecedented situation that's going around the world. So there are other things to deal with. This is one of the last things that we want to bury, uh, like worry them with. Um, so we would let customers figure out a better strategy, get uh, their funding and everything in line, and hopefully the world will be a better place so that in January when they come, they have figured out a story on how to approach, should they buy a platform license, or largely re-architect their thing so that they are no longer in a non-compliant state, or maybe upgrade to a full Dynamics SKU, whatever suits their purpose. Again, the intent is, the first approach we would say is, go figure out an architecture that doesn't make you in a non-compliant state. But if you still have a business need to use custom app applications, then you should buy the per app app license or the per user power apps license to get the platform access. And then if you have a core dynamic sales or service or project service scenarios, think about upgrading the license there.
0: So across your role, how much um and, and what are your thoughts around isvs um particularly you know what what do you what considerations do you take on board in making sure that you know the power platform um is a tool that isvs can build industry applications on
1: so we have this again a principle we say first party equals third party like we do not differentiate when we build design or apis to say or to anyhow or in any any way uh, make it more easy for first party or make it more hard for the third party. All our applications APIs that the first party uses are the same ones that are in the SDK and the OData surface that you might see largely. Uh, on that note, ISVs have, I would say, equal opportunity to build the same set of applications or even better applications in that space. And to that extent, I would say the team member enforcement, uh, a lot of it is under the hood there. But the design that allows people to enforce licensing for this application, you need to have this license is built with thinking about the ISV uh, population in mind so that when they want to onboard, they can also leverage this pretty soon to say, if you want to use my ISV application, you better have this license. So that kind of license enforcement is also extended to the ISV population. So in a, in a nutshell, any api-, any API, any design that we build, we always think that this has to be for the ISVs. Also, It has to work for everyone. So we are quite secular in that way. <laughs>
0: Before we before we uh, wrap things up with some quick fire questions, is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: Um, I would say, uh, Mark, you've been phenomenal on the MVP community. Um, I would like to say, get your support in landing some of these. Uh, I mean, these licensing questions and licensing areas that we have introduced in last, uh, I would say, two, one years worth of time, and maybe even two years for some of the throttling aspects and all. They are all going to be in the larger interest of making CDS the best service that you can have. Uh, but at the same time, it may look like tactically you are blocked on some things. But in the larger interest, if you want to have a multi-tenant multi-tenant service going at the best cost that you want to get, these things were kind of the hard pill to swallow. But uh, you you will eventually get the benefit of the platform if you think about the large picture, if you can tell that story we'd like you to be the evangelist of that story when you are talking and meeting these with some of our customers.
0: Yes, excellent, excellent. Are there any resources that people, if they want to learn more around CDS and particularly the area you work in, do you recommend they go to?
1: Yeah, I think uh, there are a few AK.ms links like AK.ms platform limits is where you think about the API capacity and then AK.ms team member apps is another place where they can think about team member enforcements. Uh, but we try to be very prescriptive in, in each one of these approaches, although we don't try to explain, because these are technical documentations, we don't try to explain the rationale and some of the principles that we talked about in last few minutes here. So um, that's why I was trying to say the technical documentation is only focused on how you get things done, but why you need to get things done and what's the... A uh, shared interest of the customer and Microsoft in these things is what I was trying to explain, and that's where a face-to face or at least a one-on-one conversations like this is where you can bring this up.
0: It's good. it's good. Okay, you ready for some quick fire random questions? <laughs> I'm worried now. <laughs> what are you throwing at me now? <laughs> okay, here's the first one. If you could do anything in the next year, what would it be? It's got to be in the realm of possibility.
1: I would say just like low-code, no-code for the platform, I would like to make sure the licensing also becomes that simple that people get it.
0: If you could have one fictional character as your friend, who would you choose? Tintin. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. You know, I'm, I'm intending on buying the entire series. I want to get the box set at some point. Um, very good. What, cha- what chance encounter have you had that changed your life forever?
1: I would say the it's not an encounter, but I would say the opportunity to work on a platform like Common Data Service, which is trying to be the next platform that will be changing the lives of many people. If you heard the story of how some of the people are learning to write low-code, no-code applications and how their life has taken a turn, right? Especially um, the the people that we meet every day and how we can influence their lives is is a much fulfilling experience for me. So I would say this, this is, I'm living my dream at this point.
0: I like it. What's the best gift you've ever received?
1: Ah, it's, it's a birthday card that my five year old daughter made for me.
0: Mm, (laughs) It's so nice. That's so nice. And I I totally understand that. Now here's, here's a, here's a bit of a catcher. Would you rather end the life of, one human or a hundred puppies or kittens? <laughs>
1: um, I think one human is still the best one because the potential of a human being to influence other life on this earth is much bigger than a hundred dogs or maybe kittens can do.
0: <laughs> What's the best compliment you've ever received? Uh,
1: I think it's. I keep getting compliment for my smile. Uh, It's a weapon of mass destruction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you goof up, you can still smile. If you do well, you can still smile.
0: Um, Excellent. Actually, there's one other question I I normally ask. Who do you recommend as a guest for future?
1: Obviously, you've spoken to already to Charles, uh, who I follow. At the same time, there are a few more people. Like, uh, I know you already spoke to Ryan. Uh, Have you spoken to Julie? Julie Strauss? Julie Strauss? Yeah.
0: Uh, good, good call, but she, she's impossible to get on the show. She's so busy, <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll take it down as an action item that I need to try and get her on again.
1: Yeah. If not, then, um, maybe Matt Barber is the next person.
0: <laughs> good old Matt. He's been around a long time, right?
1: Yes. He's seen it all. And uh, he will tell you right from the age of dinosaurs on how CRM we were.
0: <laughs> Shree, it's been great having you on the show. If people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you?
1: I think LinkedIn is the one place that I find as a good platform where I share uh, excerpts from life and about our products and stuff. Uh, At the same time, they can look me up on Facebook as well. Not pretty active there.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you're enjoying the content, if you could leave me a review on iTunes. If you go to nz365guy.com forward slash iTunes, it'll take you straight to the iTunes rating for the show, and I would appreciate you leaving feedback. Anyhow, full show notes can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 196. See you next time.